take a seat and uh, remain in attitude of prayer. Father, thank you that we have the great opportunity um, to worship you. Thank you that you are God whose ears are not uh, made of stone like an image. Lord, your eyes aren't cemented over. Your, your mouth is not a piece of wood. We thank you this morning. You're the living God. We thank you that you see everything we're going through. God, we thank you that you have the hairs on our head numbered. God, you know how many blood cells are in our body. God, you know every one of the trillions of stars and all the galaxies and everything by name. And uh, Lord, it's comforting to know that uh, our circumstances don't have to swallow us up. Um, Lord, because you have swallowed up death and we have victory in Christ. So as we look this morning in Acts 16, um, Lord, as, uh, as I've been challenged personally, just the response that, God, we would look around and just see that you're always at work. We never know what you're up to, but we know that what you're up to, God, is, is working to bring you glory and to make us more like Jesus. So we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Let's take our Bibles. Let's go to Acts chapter 16, going back to Acts chapter 16. A couple of announcements. Uh, if you're visiting with us this morning, thanks. Thanks for being here. Thanks for worshiping uh, with our Crosspoint family this morning. When you came in, um, you should have got uh, a little handout here. And uh, if you're new or uh, you would like information about our church, you can fill out uh, the bottom. It tears off. Or you can just scan a QR code. And uh, we'd love record of your visit and uh, how we can serve you and, uh, and your family. A couple of announcements. Um, of course, small groups still going on. They're in the back. And if you haven't jumped in yet, please jump in. Uh, jump in a small group. We see that in the book of Acts. And uh, we try to, to engage in gospel community here at Cross Point. Just a reminder, we do have a Bible study that, that uh, goes on on Sunday morning at 9 o'clock in the Education Building. Jared Culpepper and Josh Now will lead that. And uh, you're invited to that. And as always, uh, our children's ministry, um, we, we have lots of kids here at Cross Point. We love our kids. And maybe you've been asking how we can serve, how I can serve. You can serve in the children's ministry. Um, you can hit up Carrie or Nicole or just scan the QR code and, uh, and select volunteer. All right, um, big day for us, November the 12th. That's our next family meeting. We're going to meet in here at 5 o'clock. And then when we get done with our family meeting, we're going to have our fall festival outside. That's November the 12th. Now, um, I've been asked to announce this. Small group leaders, we will send this out to you as well so that you can hit it in your small groups. Um, but basically, fall uh, festival family uh, meeting here for members at 5. And then 6 to 8, we'll have a fall festival out there. The corn dog truck will be back. And all the people said, amen. There we go. So church is going to um, provide that. Uh, a s'mores dessert, drinks, and hot chocolate. Your small group, like last year, went really well. You're going to have a booth. You're going to have a game. You're going to uh, provide the candy for all of that. So uh, we need to know in a couple weeks, so, so two dates on this. By October 29th, if you could let the pastors or three ladies, Shelby Wimpigler, Anna Freeman, or Drew Culpepper, uh, what game you're going to do, just so that we don't double up, so that we have uh, variety in that. And then by November the 5th, 
if we could uh, know who is going to volunteer. We have a few different ways for people to volunteer. We've got a photo booth. We'll need some people there. Uh, we'll need some hot chocolate people. Uh, that sounds really good to volunteer for. Or, as always, we need cleanup people. So uh, in two weeks, October 29th, if you could turn in your small group game, name, all that stuff. And if you want to do it la like you did last year, there was, some, there was some great stuff last year. By November 5th, if your small group can let us know who's going to volunteer. And then November 12th, 5 o'clock family meeting, 6 to 8 uh, fall festival. If you're not a member of Crosspoint, like come at 6, eat corn dogs, eat candy. We'll sugar up all your kids, get them ready for a great school week, okay? That's November the 12th. All right, Acts chapter 16, we'll finish, um, Lord willing. And uh, if I can stay on task, Acts chapter 16 this morning, uh, no laser pointer this morning, no map, because we are in Philippi. We've been in Philippi the last three weeks. Justin, last week, got us to verse 24. Now, I want to remind you the overview of chapter 16. Now, if you remember, there was a Macedonian call, and the reason for that Macedonian call was that Paul and his his partner Silas, and even going back into chapter 15, remember Paul and Barnabas had a plan, and what was that plan? That plan was to go back and visit through Asia Minor. John Mark, there's a beef that comes up because of John Mark and what happens. On the human side, it looks like Paul and Barnabas are breaking fellowship, and uh, this is not a good thing, but God even allowed that division to create two mission teams. So John Mark and Barnabas, they go into the Mediterranean. Paul gets Silas, and they go through Asia Minor. And then you remember at the beginning of chapter 16, there's this Macedonian call. They try to go west into Asia. The Holy Spirit doesn't let them. They try to go up to Bithynia, to the north, and it doesn't work. So they come down to Troas, basically regroup what's going on. And you remember in a dream, what happened? They saw a Macedonian man. They saw a European. And he was saying, please come and help us. So Paul and Silas and young Timothy, the young Padawan, comes along with them. He has to get circumcised. We've already been through that. But who do they meet at Troas? They meet the author of the book of Acts, Luke. So now there's a missionary team. And they cross, and they come to Europe. They come to the colony of Macedonia. And they make straightway to this city called Philippi. Now, what have we seen on the human side, God, what are you up to? Why can't we go into Asia? Why can't we go into Bithynia? But chapter 16 spills it out this way. There was a woman named Lydia who needed to hear the gospel. She had people in her household that needed to hear the gospel. What happens? Remember how Luke describes it? God opens her heart to heed the word of the Lord from Paul and the missionary team. She believes. And then Justin walked us through last week. Complete opposite end of the religious spectrum, not a woman by the riverside that's seeking the God of Israel, but what, a slave girl, not like Lydia who owns a lot of things, this slave girl who doesn't own anything and is owned by somebody else. She's not seeking the God of Israel. She's possessed by an evil spirit, and guess what happens? We learned last week she was delivered, and both Justin and I really think that she probably got saved, okay? So I, I like just to think of the, the widening of, of the mercy of God. She's listed here, and even though the text doesn't explicitly say it, we know at least she was delivered from the evil spirit. And that brings us to this third part, and what we're going to see today is what I've got 
This third aspect of the chapter, and then we'll round out this fourth part. The jailer is going to be converted, and you're going to see not only him, but people in his house. And then that's going to lead the way for the planting of the Philippian church. And when you read through Paul's epistles, keep this in mind. Always connect the letters that Paul wrote to to Acts. Because we've got to understand chapter 16 of the book of Acts is so special in Paul's heart because later on you see how deep, how much he loved this great relational connection with the Philippian church. Think about all the great verses that we have that we cling to in the book of Philippians, right? Be anxious about nothing, but in everything, through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding, guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Rejoice in the Lord always. All that came from Paul writing to Lydia and her household, to the slave girl and others, and this guy that we're going to talk about this morning the jailer. Now, it's important for us to see that, that this Philippian church, the first church in Europe, came before the church at Ephesus, came before the church at Corinth, came before the church at Thessalonica. And this is really where Paul walks away at the end of this chapter from Philippi. You just got to know that his heart was abounding in joy, because that's the theme of Philippians. And he's like, okay, God, you really do know what you're doing. You really do have a plan. There was a reason why we couldn't go into Asia. There's a reason why we couldn't go into Bithynia. We didn't know their names. We didn't know their faces. But guess what, God? You did. And that's when, as we close out Acts chapter 16 today, it's very important that we kind of see the whole thing in perspective. And be mindful, the reason we're here this morning is because of Acts 16. The gospel went west. The gospel went to Europe. God had a plan not only to save Lydia, a slave girl, and as we'll see this morning, a jailer. God had a plan to save you. And if you don't know Jesus yet, check this out. You are here this morning not by an accident. You are here by the providence of a good and gracious God who died in your place for your sin and rose again for victory that you might know him. He not only knows Lydia's name, he knows your name. All right, if you know this story, you know that something exciting is about to happen. I could not help myself. So the title of the message today is The Jailhouse Rocked, okay? I could not help myself, all right? I shared that in our, in our meeting this morning at 845. A couple people on our music team groaned about it. I said, just get over it. I'm rolling with it. All right, let's read the text. Acts chapter 16, verse 25 through 40. That's what we'll be looking at this morning. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. And when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. And then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. And when it was day, the magistrates sent the police, saying, Let those men go. 
And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came out and apologized to them. They took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. May the Lord bless the reading and teaching and preaching of his word. What, a, what an awesome story. What an incredible story that they've come here as missionaries. They've now batting two for two, right? But their second attempt at the plate, a demon girl is delivered. The demon is driven out, possessed by a demon. She's not a demon girl. She was a girl possessed by a demon. The demon's cast out, and what was the response? Justin dropped, uh, Justin left us last week when he dropped what had happened to them. Remember the consequences. If you go back up to verse 22, a crowd had joined in in attacking Paul and Silas because, why? You remember the owners of the slave girl got mad that they didn't have a fortune-telling business anymore. And they got mad, and they kind of roused up the crowd. And so you remember the magistrates gave orders for Paul and Silas to be beat with rods. Now, if you go over to 2 Corinthians 11, you'll find out that this happened to Paul three times. And, and one of these three episodes is he's referring to this right here. And then in verse, so they were seized, they were arrested, they were accused. And then Justin left us last week reminding us in verse 24 that the jailer had received them and he put them into the inner prison, not, not the outer cells, but the inner prison, no ventilation, no windows where you would, it's kind of like solitary or lockdown. And notice it says that he fastened their feet in the stocks. This was a type of, of torture that we even find in the first or the second and third centuries that other Christians were uh, exposed to. And not just Christians, but, but uh, prisoners as well. They would take a log or a timber, and if they were going to do the upper body, they would put four or five different holes in it, and you would stick your neck through some, you know, like kind of characteristic you see maybe in some medieval stocks. This was when it was done on the legs. There were different holes in order to spread the legs out in order to create cramping in the lower, uh, the lower legs or the midsection. And so the jailer doing what he's told to do, he puts them in there. And, and keep this in mind as well about this jailer. Because Philippi was a colony of probably a lot of retired military moved there and served there. And so it's, it's not uncommon or, or wrong to think that this guy might have been a retired soldier of the Roman Empire. I mean, he's a military man. He's a calculating man. He's been put in charge of prison. And so he knows that the magistrates want these people to be uncomfortable. And so guess what? He probably put them in a position where physically they had been beaten, but now their legs are stretched out, that they're cramping up, and they are not in a good place. And that's where we pick up. I want you to see first this morning the response to persecution. The response to persecution. About midnight, <laughs> you've been obedient to God. Uh, he's led you across 
to the seed of, to, uh, to Macedonia. You found some women, quote, by chance, by God's providence at the riverside. A household believes you're meeting with those people a week later or so. Uh, this girl's been, you know, following you around and you're greatly annoyed. And so you rebuke her in the name, you rebuke the demon in the name of Jesus Christ and the demon comes out. I mean, like, yeah, like that's a good week, right? <laughs> but now because of your faithfulness, you're in a prison, in the inner prison, you've been beaten with rods, and your midsection and your legs are in a lot of pain, and probably this jailer has enjoyed his treatment of you, knowing that he's pleasing his bosses, the magistrates. What would your response be? Uh, I know what mine would be in most cases. This ain't right. This ain't fair. If they were Americans, they would be thinking about all the lawsuits and lawyers and everybody they would call, right? About midnight, you can't even sleep off the pain, right? Anybody been up at midnight, one or two, because you're sick or not feeling good, and you say, I just, just, just please, let's just, I just, you know what, I want to knock myself out just so I can rest and get away from the pain. <laughs> About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. <laughs> now, we've already seen this in Acts, haven't we? We've, we've already seen that the night before Peter was to be taken out and executed by Herod Antipas, you might remember what Luke said about that in Acts 12, he, he was sleeping. <laughs> that very night, before they brought him out the next morning, Peter was sleeping, chained to two guards. Back in Acts chapter 4, they're threatened, and you remember they went before the Lord, and they prayed, and they said, God, hear the threats coming to us, and please allow us to continue to, to, to speak your word in the place that they were praying was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, continued to preach the word with boldness. You never really find in the book of Acts Christians staring down the barrel of persecution or suffering and just being overcome with despair. Now, I'm not going to like, you know, sanitize it to the point where, well, you know, they just didn't feel pain and, you know, they're just special and they're apostles and they could just like, you know, an angel would appear and they would have an out-of-body. No, check this out. This is the way the New Testament presents it. They were facing physical pain, physical persecution. It was real. They were sleep deprived, all of that. But in spite of that, they were able to face the situation with confidence and trust and even joy. Now, what was their response? First was they responded in prayer and praise. The word praying there is a present tense verb, so it means that this was continuous. It just wasn't one time. They just didn't say one prayer. They were praying. And the word singing hymns, literally, it's, it's also speaking of a continuous action, but it's literally they were praying and hymning to God. Now, the word there is, it means hymn. It, it it could denote several things. You have in the, in the New Testament, you have several words um, in Colossians and Ephesians. You have um, psalms, which literally in the Greek would be like a song that had a musical accompaniment. Now, it does in some places refer to the actual book of psalms, but the technical term refers to 
singing with an accompaniment of plucking. <laughs> you have another, hymns. That's the word that's used here. A song of celebration, a song of praise. And again, it can be used generically, just more about they were, they were singing, they were praising, they were directing song without musical accompaniment to God. And then you have spiritual songs, which are probably like spontaneous praise from the Holy Spirit welling something up in you. I mean, let's be honest. All y'all been in the car one day and you got lyrics wrong and she just kind of filled in the lyrics and the point was God wasn't saying, you got the lyrics wrong. What was he saying? The Lord was accepting that, that you just out of a gratitude of your heart, you're worshiping him, right? And you ever been that way? And then when you got done singing, you say, oh Lord, my noise isn't even joyful, but thank you that you accept it anyway, right? So, the point here is not, check this out, the content of what they're singing. The point here is, is that in persecution and in inner prison, being hurt and sleep deprived, their response is, we will worship him. And, and the way that these verbs are side by side, praying and singing, it was like they infused them together. It was like they prayed for a little while, and then they sang, and they sang a little while, and then they prayed. It was just back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. I find it interesting that in a prison, that's where they found their refuge in Christ. That's where specifically they found safety to God. They were praying to God, and they were singing hymns celebrating who he was thought about this this week, how often we, me, us, bemoan our situations and complain about our situations when we're the ones that made dumb decisions or mistakes to get ourselves in that situation. But even in those situations, guess what we can do? We should respond vertically, praising him that when we sin, he doesn't cut us off. When we make mistakes, he does not turn us out. Here, it is in spite of their obedience and their faithfulness. It is because they crossed the sea. It's because they preached the gospel. It's because they ministered in Philippi that now they're here. So let me encourage you this morning. Just Sometimes when you obey Jesus, that doesn't mean that it's 72 and a fall day and it's sunny outside. Sometimes it means the inner prison, the stocks, the rods, and pain. But guess what? Blessed be the name of the Lord. If you begin the habit of praising him and praying to him, because what do those two things do? When you praise him in spite of your circumstances, you are basically saying, you see me. You hear me. You understand what's going on. And it allows you to look up and depend on him. I'm not in control, you are. Why is this? I don't know, but you've got a plan. I don't know what's going on. But God, no matter what happens to me, you are worthy to be praised. And I think it's helpful for us to see that the pain was real, the sleep deprivation was real, the rods were real, the, uh, the, the mistreatment was real, but at the same time, the singing and the praising were, praying were real. Tertullian in 197 wrote a song, or a song, wrote a, uh, a document and it was called To the Martyrs. So he was writing it to Christians who were facing persecution. 
and people that had even themselves been persecuted like Paul and Silas had in this text. And this is what he said. The legs fill nothing in the stocks when the heart is in heaven. He would later say that the blood of the saints is the seed for the church. I've got to believe that we can respond in the same way. It may not be to persecution, but if we train ourselves as a matter of our Christian life, and this is, I'm preaching myself here, that no matter what happens, God really is in control. No matter what happens, God really is faithful. No matter what happens, my circumstances do not mean that he loves me less or loves me more. I am loved no matter what happens to me because I'm in his son. Notice there was also a response from the prisoners. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Somebody's always listening. <laughs> Man, I'm glad I went there. They had heard a mouthful of complaining, right? Somebody's always listening. One of my buddies in India says, we're the fifth gospel. Some people don't have access to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but they have access to us. One of my friends in India was locked up for false charges, and he was placed in a prison for over 50 days. No toilet, no accommodations. Midway through, they put a bunch of wild rats in his cell with him. He found out over that course of the days that other prisoners had found out that he was in there, and he began communication with one of these guys, and this guy came to know Christ. <laughs> Somebody's always listening. Somebody's always watching. You ever just kind of blown it? I have. And then somebody finds out you're a Christian. That ever happened? I got pulled over by the highway patrol one time. Well, it's happened a few times, but this was one specific instance. <laughs> and after a conversation, then the dreaded question. So what do you do for a living? Um, I'm a minister. Okay. Somebody's always watching. Somebody's always listening. The world doesn't have direct access to Jesus enthroned on high. They can't just walk up and see him and ask him something and him verbally speak and they, them verbally see his face. We walk by faith and not by sight, but check what? Check this out. The world has access to us. Who's listening in your life? Who's paying attention? in your life. It wasn't just Paul and Silas's response. It wasn't just the prisoner's response, but praise God, the Lord had a response. What is it in verse 26? Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Now, earthquakes were, were, were common in this area. We, we even see, you know, earlier in the book of Acts, there were earthquakes. But it seems as if this was like a precision earthquake. And the, the Lord of all nature who can speak um, to the storm and say, be still, who can walk on water, who can open up seas, all of creation serves its master. And it's almost like the Lord hits a precision earthquake right here in Philippi. Notice what happens. During the time of singing hymns and praise to God, there was a great earthquake. The prison was shaken. Notice this. All the doors opened and all of the bonds were unfastened. Like this is like electronic opening, electronic unfastening, like first century style. It's almost like just 
you know, I don't know if they were chained to the wall or, or how, but at, at all in one moment, through an earthquake, all the doors open up <laughs> and all the bonds fall off. What's happening here? The Lord is answering the prayers and praise of his people. Prisoners are listening. And I'm sure there was songs and prayer about Christ, to Christ, to the Father. It's very evident that these men were completely different. The Holy Spirit, something was attractive about these men. The prisoners were not shouting at them or doing something to revile them. Something about these men had drawn these prisoners to pay attention to what was said to them. Could be in their reputation the previous week in Philippi. I'm not sure. But the point was, all of a sudden, the response was an earthquake. Not just Paul and Silas's chains fell off. Everybody around them did. I don't want to hyper-spiritualize the passage, I just, but I do, I do think sometimes that the way that we respond to situations affects everybody around us, positively or negatively. But God is answering the prayer. But this is where I did see something really, really cool, y'all. Think through what's already happened in the chapter. Lydia goes down to the riverside, and she hears the gospel. And how does Luke describe it? The, the... I'm asking y'all to fill in the blank. The, what, what to her heart? The door of her heart opened, right? That picture's already there in Acts 16. I'm not imposing it on the text. Luke's already said that. Slave girl is in bondage <laughs> to this demon. And so Luke kind of puts them here together in this picture that when the Lord shook the prison, guess what happened? The doors opened and the chains fell off. This is awesome. And in a lot of other ways, it's a picture of what's happening in Philippi. God is opening people's hearts. God is throwing out Satan's influence. God is setting people free. He's shaking a town to shake a colony, to shake a region, to shake a continent. And that is the picture that we're giving here of what the gospel does. The gospel not only opens the door, the gospel sets us free. The gospel allows us to leave. The gospel cleanses us. This is what Christ does. This is the picture. I'm thankful for a God that responds. So we see the response. Secondly, this morning, I want you to see the jailer's conversion. We're told in verse 27 that the jailer woke, and he saw that the prison doors were open. Now, it would have been dark, we find out in just a few verses, that he had to bring in lights. So we're not really sure how this went down, and just understand, like, it's going to be fun, you know, in heaven after 10 million years of worshiping at the feet of Jesus to basically ask Luke, hey, why, why, why did you leave out this? And here's my like 42 follow-up questions for you. That'd be great if like Luke were to sit here and we were to say, why this, why this? And he would say, um, he would politely say, brother, it was not my intention to answer all the side questions. It was my intention to tell the story. I don't know how Paul knew that everybody was there. <laughs> I don't know how 
Paul knew that the jailer was about to harm himself. Luke doesn't tell us. Maybe Paul could see him. Maybe the Holy Spirit revealed it to him. I don't know. But the jailer wakes up, and you gotta, he's woken up from a slumber, and you got to think that probably the last sound that he heard was the singing and the praying. And so he drifts off to sleep, possibly a retired uh, man. He's got everybody fastened. It's midnight. He's got the night shift. You know, he's, his, his, his home life's been just a little chaotic, and he's trying to just, you know, get the job done and he goes to sleep and the last thing he heard was somebody praising some person named Jesus and asking for deliverance and then all of a sudden he wakes up and the room is shaking and he looks out and all the doors are open and he looks at the inner prison door it's open and he sees a a a, a chain in the hallway and and his first thought is I'm dead as we've seen earlier in the book of Acts, the Justonian Code mandated that a prisoner or a, a, a jailer or a soldier who was keeping a prisoner, if that prisoner escaped, it was life for life. And so you, gotta, you see this guy's experience. He knows what's going to happen. He knows that he is going to look around and there's going to be nobody there and he's going to have to go tell this to the magistrates, and he's going to have to report that not just these two inner prison prisoners escaped, but everybody did, and he knows that he's going to be publicly shamed, and all of his military experience and all of his background won't, won't, won't exempt him from any of this. He's going to be paraded in front. He's going to be humiliated in front of the town, and then he's going to be publicly executed. And so you almost see him taking the honorable way out, and he either pulled out his sword, and he was either going to cut his throat or stab himself in the heart or fall on it. He was getting ready to kill himself, it says, but Paul cried out with a loud voice, do not harm yourself. We are all here. This jailer first, he awoke with fear, with guilt, and judgment. There's no hope. He knew what was going to happen. He knew the inevitable. He knew that he was about to die, and so let me just go ahead and, and end it. Sometimes we get in situations where we don't think there's hope, where because of the actions that we've done or the inaction that we've done or us doing something or us not doing something or because other people have done something, we feel that there is no way out. We felt like we had control of the situation and we look up and all the doors are open and all the chains are gone and we feel like the whole world is running away from us and we're all alone and check this out, we want to end it. Now, let me, let me speak a spiritual word and then let me, let me, let me speak a physical word. Spiritual word is this. God brings us to a point in ourselves before we become Christians where we feel real fear, real guilt, and real impending judgment. No one can be saved without a sense of knowing that they're lost. No one can be saved and expect to go to heaven until they felt the fact that they really, really deserve hell. No one can appreciate the grace of Christ until they understand the holiness of Christ that they have offended with their sin. And it's almost like those that are rescued out of darkness into light feel the very sword of God's wrath and judgment at their neck totally deserved. But let me just speak a physical word. I was praying 
last night. This thought came to my mind, so let me just share this with you. Notice what Paul says. We're all here. Do not harm yourself. We're all here. Let me just speak a physical word right here to you. There may be someone in this place or maybe somebody on the live stream. You may know somebody in your life, and they are thinking about harming themselves physically. Listen to this. Do not harm yourself. We are all here. Before Paul and Silas were there, God was there. <laughs> Can I just speak to you this morning? There is nothing that you have done, and there is nothing that no one uh, has, has done to you that is so grave that you have to harm yourself. And if that thought is coming into your mind, we are all here. And church, can I just tell you this? Sometimes that needs to be the rally cry. We're all here. You don't have to do anything to yourself. We're all here because a real church gets into real ditches of real life and sticks it out with people because that's what God has done for us in Christ. The Holy Spirit doesn't move out on Tuesday when you blow it, right? He stays with you. I'm going to give you the Spirit who will dwell in you forever, who will be with there, who will be there in the midst of all your, your pain and all your circumstances and all your grumpy Thursday mornings. And when you want to quit, guess who's still there? Everybody else may leave, but guess who's there? And he's not going anywhere. He's not beside you. He's in you. The church needs to look sometimes, many times, all the time, at situations of people who really do think about life's over. Could we be a church? I hope that we could. They could look at any situation and say, don't harm yourself. We're, we're all here. <laughs> we're all here. You got to reach out. I, I'm not telepathic. I can't read your mind. And when people do reach out to you, church member, brother, sister in Christ, be gracious. Get help. Don't broadcast things on, online. Be honorable. Most of the time we're scared to come into the light for what other people may think about us. God already knows who we are, and God calls us into the light. He knows exactly what we look like in the darkness. I've been saying this the last couple of weeks. 1 John 1, 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light... That's what the text says. We have fellowship with one another. It's amazing that when we start getting honest about all the junk in our life, the people that we share that junk with as we come to the light where God is and they come to the light where God is, it's, it's crazy that the exposing of weaknesses and sin and failures in our life doesn't, the Bible says, doesn't drive us from each other. It actually causes us not just to be together, but to have fellowship in that. That's awesome. So if you come to the light as somebody who doesn't, who's not, doesn't have this huge struggle that you're dealing with at this point, maybe later, and somebody else comes to the light, guess what? Your response to them, as you both come to the light where God is, your response should be to cause fellowship with that other person that needs you. I'm thankful that we're not perfect. We never will be. But I'm thankful that I begin to see that in our church. And check this out, we're not going to bat a thousand at that. 
There's going to be times, and there's probably been times in your past with other people in other places, or maybe even here, that you tried to come to light, and people just didn't respond that way. Check this out. Please don't let that be uh, your reason to never, ever, ever abide in, in God's community that he's given you again. I didn't mean to go down that road, but it's in the text. It's there. Paul reassuring this guy, don't do anything. We're all here. And so how does the jailer respond? The jailer called for lights in verse 29, and he rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Now, there's got to be, if if this dude is ex-military, and he's a tough dude, right? I mean, he's, he's scared to death at this point. And this is crazy. He rushes in, he calls for lights, which he still has some command of the prison at this point, and he falls down before Paul and Silas. Like, who does that? A man that's been overcome with the reality of who he is and what he needs. And notice the question. He brought them out and he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, some people have interpreted this as like a a physical salvation. Well, it doesn't make sense there because all the prisoners are still there. Nobody's left. So his, his, his life's not in jeopardy at this point, right? I forgot to mention this. Isn't it amazing that uh, somehow Paul and Silas, their attitude and reaction that night kept everybody else in the, play, in their, in the place too? Like none of the prisoners were like, man, forget this. I'm, I'm out. But they're all there. And so the guy's life wasn't in jeopardy. So this isn't like, what must I do to be saved? I mean, the, guy, the jailer's not looking at the prisoner being like, can you please save my life? He's, that's not happening. How does... This guy know anything about Greek word sozo, deliverance, rescue? (laughs) Probably for the last week. Think of how God, (laughs) so good. Think about how God flips Satan's schemes. Remember what Justin taught us last week? Remember that girl? I can, you know, it was an annoying voice, so I can just kind of see it. These are the servants of the eternal, you know, the living God who's telling you the way of salvation. And it's just like a parrot just to record. You remember what the the the, the slave girl said? You remember that back? It was back in. Uh, sorry for the accent, but it was just funny. These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. These men are the most. You know, it's just ah, da da. And Paul greatly annoyed, cast a demon out. Right now, why Justin taught us last week that was Paul against that? Because if Satan can't attack the gospel, he'll try to mix it with paganism, right? And so Paul didn't want the gospel of Jesus mixed in with python serpent, as we looked last week. But check this out. Even that demon message meant by the enemy to confuse people about the gospel, in some way, I think it's pretty clear here, planted seeds in the jailer's heart. Why else does he talk? The only other reference in Philippi to saved or salvation is what the demon was saying through the girl. Man, God flips the script on the devil here. He turns the tables, man. Even what the enemy tries to use, God can use for his glory and his purposes. So this, what must I do to be saved? It could have also gone to what they were singing, what they were praising. Oh, God of our salvation, if they were, if they were singing psalms. Oh, oh, God who saves us, deliver us, save us, O oh Lord. Or, or a, a hymn to Christ, oh, Christ, you have saved us. This save and salvation is in this jailer's mind, and so he comes in, and the question is, what do I got to do to be saved? What happens? 
Aren't you thankful that this was decided back in chapter 15 at Jerusalem? Aren't you thankful that Paul and Silas at this point don't say, well, you need to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses? What does he say? Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. It's a simple gospel message. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. This guy awoke in fear and guilt and judgment, but check this out. He heard and believed the gospel of Christ's grace. Simple gospel. You don't have to do anything. You need to believe in what's already been done. Who? Don't you like how he attacks, uh, attacks the title of Christ to his name, the Lord Jesus? Can, can I just share this with you this morning? Jesus will be your Savior if you submit to the fact that he is already Lord. We don't make Jesus the Lord of our life. He's Lord, whether or not we acknowledge it or not. He's Lord. He's enthroned. He's king. He's master. He's ruler. And check this out. When we submit to that fact that he is Lord, not Caesar, not the president, not the government, not the economy, not my circumstances. There's one Lord. His name is Jesus. When I submit to that, guess what happens? I'm saved. He's my Savior. And this guy believes. And we'll see why he believed in just a moment. Believe in the Lord Jesus. But it's important that we see verse 32. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all were in his house. So at some point in this, I don't know if uh, his house was right next to the prison and the earthquake woke his family up and they came down there to check. But at some point in this scene, we move from the inner prison to like the lobby of the prison or right outside the prison. But eventually we end up in the jailer's house. The point here is, is that the jailer asked, what must I do to be saved? And Paul says this, this gospel Believe in the Lord Jesus, you'll be saved, you and your house. And then in verse 32, there's a, another gathering where all of his family comes, and it says here that Paul spoke the word of the Lord, meaning that he, he took a longer time. He took a longer conversation. It took him a little longer to share this. Sometimes people don't get saved in our five-minute gospel conversation. Sometimes it takes longer for us to unpack what it means, and that's what Paul's doing here. It's not just that we slap them with a Bible verse. Why aren't you doing that? I mean, it, sometimes it takes time, right? We just don't walk up to random people and be like, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near and walk away. What does it mean? What's the kingdom of heaven? What's it mean to repent? Who is Jesus? All this implies the fact that Paul and Silas took time to share. We find out that this guy believed. How do we know that? This is what I want you to see next. He showed repentance and he showed a changed heart. Verse 33, and he, the jailer, took the same, took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. And then he brought them up into his house and he set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Pretty clear you see that this is a different dude than the guy who back in verse 24 was fastening them in the stocks, was enjoying hurting them. He's completely different. How is he different? Verse 33, he washed their wounds. John Chrysostom, the fourth century mighty preacher in the early church, says the jailer was washed and then he washed. He was washed of his sins and then he washed. <laughs> 
Paul and Silas of their strife. You see what he's trying to do? He's basically saying, you were hurt yesterday and it was wrong, and so let me serve you now. His attitude and his relationship towards these prisoners that he inflicted torture on just a few hours earlier, now it's completely changed. Let me care for you. Where has this ever happened? They're not in the prison anymore. They're at his house. It also says that he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Let me just make a statement here. We interpret this verse about who was baptized based off how we've seen all the rest of the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2, all who received his word were baptized. Acts chapter 10, or act, yeah, Acts chapter 10, verse 44, that the word that was spoken and the people that believed the Holy Spirit fell on them. Acts chapter 11, verse 18, God granted repentance unto life to the Gentiles. Acts chapter 15, that the Gentiles heard the word of the Lord and believed. It's, it's pretty clear in the context of Acts that the people that were baptized are the people in verse 31 who heard the gospel called to believe in the Lord Jesus and the people in verse 32 who heard the word of the Lord from Paul and Silas. Now, I say that to say, this is why at Crosspoint, we believe in believer's baptism. And, and this is why we believe that baptism by immersion happens after conversion. So, you, you don't baptize people. And again, just, just, this is a, a conviction that comes, this is the way that we believe from the text. If you can't understand the gospel, if you can't hear the gospel, if a child is too young to understand the word of the Lord, then they can't believe. And so, because they can't believe yet, they're not to be baptized yet. So that's just, I just want to lay that out and just show that to you. Again, it's not a salvific issue, but it just to explain that passage, but he was baptized. So the big point there is, is not that he went through an ordinance, but what's he doing at that moment? He is identifying with Paul and Silas. You read a prisoner or a jailer that walked up to the prisoner and said, man, I want to be like you. I'm your buddy from now on. And he was hating on these dudes just a few minutes ago. Now what he's doing, he's like, you're my brothers. He submits to them. So showed hospitality. He brought them up into his house and set food before him. He's feeding these prisoners now. He's trying to undo what has been done to them the day before. And then notice this. He rejoiced along with his entire household that he believed in God. It's kind of the same language back in Acts 8 that the Ethiopian eunuch went on his way rejoicing. No, no mention specifically of the Holy Spirit, but pretty clear the Holy Spirit is producing joy because of this in this new convert's heart. So he showed repentance. This guy's saved. So remember what Justin said last week? There was a Jewish prayer that said, Lord, thank you that I'm not a woman. Thank you that <laughs> I'm not a slave. Thank you that I'm not a Gentile. And God said, hey, guess what? I'm going to save women. I'm going to save slaves. And I'm going to save Gentiles. Totally different situation. Totally different circumstances. Totally different backgrounds. Same gospel. Same change by the same Christ that saves all three of these people. Quickly, let's see how the chapter ends and. This is the planting of the Philippian church. When it was day, the magistrates sent the police, verse 35, saying, let those men go. Not sure if they felt the earthquake, not sure if they said, okay, we beat them up pretty good yesterday, but let those men go. So the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. It's implied there, this is what's funny. It's implied there that the, the jailer is saved and he's happy, but he says, hey, guys, could you, like, please go back to the prison and sleep there the rest of the night? Like, let's just follow protocol, please. 
And so Paul and Silas, you know, I don't know if they were in the lobby together. You know, they was, they were, I don't know what's happening. Maybe knowing Paul, he kept preaching all night, right? Just to encourage this guy. But the day comes and the jailer says, hey, they said you can go. Notice how he says, go in peace. Shalom. They had taught him like one Jewish thing, you know, shalom. He's, he said, hey, and in the jailer's mind, he's like, man, it's all good. Like, you're free, man. Like, it's awesome. Let's do lunch tomorrow. Paul kind of flexes here, doesn't he? Verse 37, Paul said to them, <laughs> they've beaten us publicly, uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens, and have thrown us in prison, and now they throw us out secretly? No, let them come themselves and take us out. Man, this is where you, anybody that thinks like Paul is Captain Weak Sauce, like, no, he flexes here, Okay. Paul, I mean, if you read Acts, you can kind of see that Paul had a problem popping off occasionally, okay? He, he does it. There's a, there's a case later on in Acts where he's standing before the Sanhedrin, and the high priest says something, and Paul says, God's going to strike you, you whitewashed walls. Like, dude, yeah. Levitical smack talk. I mean, Paul could pop off. And, and I want you to see that there's wisdom here, okay? There's, there's wisdom in a few different areas. I'll just move through them fairly quick, but, but notice. Notice first that Paul had, had wisdom on knowing when to voice his rights. He did not claim citizenship the day before. And maybe he couldn't. Maybe because of the melee and the mob, they never got a chance to say, I'm a Roman citizen. Maybe not. But he doesn't for whatever reason the day before, but he does now. You would simply say, I'm a Roman citizen. Now, Knowing us, some of us are very clever. We get in a pickle in the first century, we would say, I'm a Roman citizen. And like that's our trump card we get out of it. Because not everybody was a Roman citizen. They would keep probably your registration in your hometown. So, so Paul's official paperwork was back in Tarsus. This is how the Romans enforced it. If you claim to be a citizen and you weren't a citizen, and yet you claim to be a citizen, you got found out, guess what? You got killed. So this is a big deal. We're Roman citizens. That's why later on in the book of Acts, this centurion's getting ready to whip Paul, and Paul says, hey, I'm a citizen, and this, guy, this, this, and this, uh, this centurion brings him to the side, and he says, you're a citizen? He said, I, I, I paid for my citizenship, and Paul goes, I was one born, I was born a citizen. And this is a big statement here, but there, there is wisdom here, and I'm still learning it, and you can ask my wife. There's wisdom when we should throw down for our rights, and there's wisdom when maybe we shouldn't. There's times where we should run out of the prison because the doors are open, and sometimes we're called to stay behind and suffer a little longer because somebody needs to get saved. See that? I'm thankful for the Bill of Rights. I'm thankful for the First Amendment, the Second Amendment, and all, all the... I'm, I'm thankful for, the, for that. But check this out. I am a Christian first and an American second. Why did Paul do this? Why did he say at the end of verse 37, no, let them come themselves and take us out? Because secondly, Paul showed wisdom, and check this out, he needed to make sure that these Christians were protected. And what do I mean by that? Verse 38, the police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they, Paul and Silas, were Roman citizens. What's the big deal here? Roman law for over 300 years at this point had said that Roman citizens could not could not be punished in the way that Paul and Silas had. Roman citizens couldn't have blows inflicted upon them. One commentator says that Roman citizens were exempted from degrading forms of punishment. 
Now, while the magistrates did have the power to be able to, in some way, punish people, they, this should have never happened. They should have found out who these men were. And so the protocol has been messed up. One, one Roman philosopher said this way, to, to fetter or chain a Roman citizen was a crime. To scourge a Roman citizen was a, a scandal. To kill a Roman citizen was like killing a close relative. And the reason why the magistrates freak out as they do in verse 38, they were afraid when they had heard that they were Roman citizens. Emperor Claudius had actually revoked colony status from another city. And what they had done here would possibly cause them to be removed from office, possibly cause them to be thrown in prison, and possibly cause Philippi to lose their tax exemptions, the ability to loan, uh, own land. Like Rome took this serious. So what's Paul doing? Paul wants to make sure and wants to take great pains in showing that the Christians didn't break laws. The Christians aren't a threat to the Romans. The Christians didn't mess up here because when they leave, guess what? It's Lydia, it's the jailer, it's a slave girl, it's a small group of people meeting, and guess what? He does not want them to get persecuted in the same way that he has. And so what does he do? They have the moral high ground, they have the leverage here, and Paul says, let's go. The actions that we take every day affect how other people view the church and how other people treat the church. Now, the Philippians later on would suffer some persecution. Last thing I want you to see, verse 40. So they went out of the prison and they visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. Now, last thought. Remember in beginning of verse six, or chapter 16, there was a lot of we language. And the we language happens when Luke joins. The narrator jumps in the story. Up to that point, Acts is they, them, he, her. But first person, plural, takes over. We, us. And it's pretty clear that Luke is in Philippi. And Justin walked us through last week. How come Luke and Timothy didn't get thrown in jail? Well, Timothy was half Greek and Luke was full Greek, and so they didn't get included in the anti-Semitism. But notice here, Luke shifts back to they. So they, Paul and Silas, went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. We found out in chapter 17 that Timothy left Philippi with Paul and Silas as well. Guess what happens later on? The next reference we have of we and us is in chapter 20. And it is Luke and Paul, and Paul is at Philippi. So what am I trying to point out? This last point. How did Paul show wisdom? Paul had wisdom in probably, most probably, leaving Luke behind in Philippi for the new believers. There's about a three or four chapter gap. And when we see Luke, he's in Philippi. And then when it switches back to we and us, he's in Philippi. And check this out, y'all. Why couldn't they go into Asia? Why couldn't they go into Bithynia? Why did they go to Troas? Because in Troas, they met a doctor named Luke, who was God's <laughs> instrument to write all this down. But not just that, God just didn't want to save Lydia and the slave girl and the Philippian jailer. God wanted them to be taught the word of the Lord. And so now, guess what? Timothy and Silas and Paul can go on. But the genius in this is now there's somebody to stay behind in Philippi and disciple them. Probably Luke stayed behind and he did this. What's some application that we can take home today? First, 
our response to circumstances reveals our view of God. I'm talking to me. <laughs> Do I believe in a big God who's in control of all things or a little God that I need to freak out about when stuff doesn't go my way? We have to learn to train ourselves, not casually, not flippantly, but when situations happen, to begin to incorporate praise and prayer and trust that we really do believe that God is who he says he is. Secondly, we should be aware of how God providentially uses situations to put us in place to share the gospel. God let them go down by a riverside to share the gospel. God let them walk it through a marketplace and get annoyed to share the gospel. And God sticks them in an inner prison in stocks in order to share the gospel. And guess what we see in Acts chapter 16? God is picking his men up. He's, you know, kind of like the Google man, right? He picks them up and just puts them down somewhere. He picks them up and puts them down in the next place. And wherever God's put you and whatever situations come your way, you have to believe that our great God is providentially orchestrating all things so that you can testify to who he is and what he's done for us in Christ. Finally, we need to show wisdom in how we act and how we speak and how we respond because the reputation of the gospel is on the line, but the reputation of the church is on the line as well. We're God's people in our community, and how we live and how people perceive us is how people perceive all the rest of us. Again, that's not a call for perfection, but it's a call for us to chase holiness and to pursue truth and love and Christ together. Man, what a chapter. <laughs> what a chapter. God is working all things for his glory. Let's pray. Father, thanks for the word. Thank you for teaching us. I pray, Lord, you have spoken um, to us today. And, Lord, we would be obedient to heed what you have said and not just through Luke, but, Lord, today by the Spirit to us. God, I pray for my own responses that it will be in trust and worship. Even in the frustration, even in pain, even in fear, that, God, you know what you're doing. God, thank you that you do allow people to see and hear us, and maybe that causes us to be fearful sometimes. But, Lord, the world is watching, and you said that by this would all men know that you're my disciples if we love one another. So, God, help us the way we treat other Christians, the way that we treat the world. But allow people to stick around a little longer, even when there's a wide-open door and a chains on the floor, to hear the answer to what must I do to be saved. God, we pray for the jailers in our life. We pray for people that don't know you, that you allow us to speak that simple message, believe in the Lord Jesus. And then as it takes time to explain it, God, you give us wisdom in how we conduct our life, how we see you not only want our salvation, God, you want our sanctification. Help us, God, to be like Luke, and even when other people move on, to stick around and pour into people. God, just apply your word in our hearts today. Church, as we sit before the Lord, how is he taking the word and ministered to your heart today? If you don't know Christ, or even if you're, as we looked at a few minutes ago, thinking about possibly life being hopeless, we're all here. We're all here. 
So many in this place testify to the fact that Jesus is alive and Jesus is Lord and his saving power. If you don't know him today, I'll be at the back. Ryan, Paul, and Justin are around too. There's men and women in this place that would love to share truth with you and pray with you. We'll stick around even after the service. If you need prayer or need counseling, need to talk, please come holler at us. Christian today, how's the Lord use the word to speak specifically to your heart? Respond, be obedient to that. Let's stand, I'll pray over us, and then we'll sing. Father, thank you again for scripture, for your truth, for your character, for your goodness. Minister your word to our hearts. We thank you, Lord, that we even now can hymn you, God. We can celebrate who you are in song. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Lead us, Daniel.